I don't think there's anything subtle about the cosmos. There's a lot going on up there. Even the government's talking about UFOs these days. Unimaginable telescopes are being built that reveal universes and the birthplace of stars that are literally 13 billion light years away. That's billion with a B. Then there's the Bible verses and the interviews with thousands of people who've had near-death experiences that actually validate the architecture of the heavens and the Bible verses that describe them. Hi everyone, I'm Bill Nordstrom and welcome to the program today. You know, maybe it's time we start looking up a little bit more. We've been talking about the critical musts for a couple of years now. Uh, the events in the heavens and on the earth that must precede the return of Jesus Christ. And it seems, as so many are beginning to talk about this evolving time frame, there may be more confusion than ever, globally and also among the redeemed. So many have adopted end-time views based only on what they've been taught by well-meaning church leaders they've loved and respected while others seeing a pursuit of these coming days as rather bewildering and, and confusing. They're choosing instead to leave it up to the experts. <laughs> now, let me strongly suggest that will be insufficient in approaching the time frame the Bible so graphically speaks about. While we'll find it extremely important and helpful to learn what's going on down here, we'll also find it necessary to understand what's going on up there. How do we see verses like Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Or verse 31 in Matthew 24, again the words of Jesus, and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. When? After the tribulation of those days, the rapture of the saints, and the Old Testament righteous. Why would God ever find it necessary to leave Noah, Abraham, Moses, and all the people they taught and ministered to under the law in the grave for another seven years, while the New Testament saints are whisked off into the marriage supper of the Lamb? God never said that's what he's going to do, and he won't. Even the prophet Joel gets in on this. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. When? Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. My friends, these are all activities that take place up there in the heavens, events that will affect the earth down here. And Joel and Jesus made clear these occurrences would come at the day of the Lord, at his coming when he raises the righteous dead and brings his elect into his presence in the heavens. You know, recent news cycles really haven't given much, uh, much coverage to the continuous tensions in the earth, especially in the Middle East. But from a Bible perspective, there's much to consider here. 
because these events actually find their origin in the heavens. You say, well, how does it begin up there? Well, we first have the words of Daniel in chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up. Well, he's standing up in the heavens. That great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. That's Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah's words. Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who's found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, things seem to occur first and foremost in the heavens, and then these events transition to their intended outcome on the earth. And then there's John in Revelation chapter 12, and it's pretty obvious he'd read Daniel chapter 12. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The Bible's clear. A man will soon emerge in the region that will quickly grab the attention of the entire world, leading to an unprecedented peace agreement. It sounds like a really great idea. Many, many believe the simmering of the tensions in the Middle East will lead to the recognition of Israel's holy covenant, you know, the one God made with Abraham, and that will change everything. Israel would have full access to Temple Mount, the, the liberty to begin the ancient animal sacrifices, and an unmatched peace among the hostile armies of the region. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, this is a great setup to the abomination of desolation, directly leading to the Great Tribulation. Folks, although the cosmic events we've been speaking of will follow very shortly, the unrivaled Great Tribulation will result in nuclear death upon the earth. Now, I know, and you probably know also, there's no direct Bible reference to the word nuclear. But we can't miss the meaning of the numerous scriptures that could only relate to the word nuclear. How about Isaiah chapter 34, verse 4? All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their host shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. Now, now let me stop there for just a moment. I did a recent podcast on Jesus' words and his command in Matthew 24 to observe the fig tree in view of a coming season. Listen to what he said. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. So you also, when you see all these things, all these things I just explained in Matthew chapter 24, know that it's near, it's at the doors. Now here's the point I want to make. Jesus warned to observe the fig tree in its initial season of ripening. While Isaiah's view is if we don't pay attention to the fig tree and we delay too long and not pick the fruit, It'll rot on the vine and fall to the ground. It'll be too late. And actually, that outcome 
will play out in nuclear devastation. How about Isaiah, continuing in verse 6, Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. Verse 19, And the earth is utterly broken, the earth is split apart, the earth is violently shaken. Or chapter 29, verse 6, You will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder, with earthquake, and great noise, with whirlwind and tempest, and the flame of a devouring fire. What else could it be but describing nuclear? The prophet Zechariah spoke of these times in chapter 13, verse 8. In the land, the Lord says, two-thirds will be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. Beloved, that's a little over six million souls based on today's population in Israel. Zechariah goes on in verse 10, For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. How many times have we seen references to the cosmos, to the sun, the moon, and the stars in both Testaments? Again, Isaiah. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Now, you might say here, the church is not subject to the wrath of God. And that it is not. Verse 19, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and the pomp of the Chaldeans, will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. Again, we see these events as directed against Israel's enemies, not the church. God's not mad at the church. He's going to use us in a position to do everything he intended for us to do from the very beginning. I submit the church will go through a significant renovation, reformation, and revival in this coming time period. And while I'm at it, the church is, the church is called to impact and influence the world. It's not called to conquer it. The conquering is in the hands of God himself. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And note at whom this is aimed. Verse 12. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people, listen, who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. This is death directly related to nuclear events, God's enemies. And finally, listen to what Jesus says about this time frame in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And if... The big if, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the elect's sake, for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So we have to ask, who are the elect? Well, it's you and me and the billions on the earth, Jew and Gentile, who come into that elect status during the Great Tribulation. They've witnessed the wrath of the Lord specifically against the Antichrist and his armies. 
a Satan-led force that it's gone full-time into its goal of eliminating the Jew in the predominantly Gentile church that's been assigned to hide and protect them. Revelation chapter 12, verse 13 explains just that. Listen to this. Now, when the dragon, that's Satan, when he saw he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Those are the Jews who gave birth to the male child. That's Jesus. Now, listen to whom the Satan turns his attention to when he sees the redeemed on the earth are helping the Jews, hiding them from the hands of the enemy. Listen to this. Verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Can it be any clearer than that? It's the redeemed of Israel, the believers throughout the nations who put their faith in God, the God and Father of a Jewish Messiah. So with the cosmic and ecosystems breaking from restraint, it's abundantly clear a great tribulation is well underway. And we have to ask at this point, what's the prophetic witness of the saints, of the church? What's the church's role in bringing Israel to an encounter with God? And just how will God bring the church to such a condition they'll become the intercessors for Israel in the time of the Great Tribulation? Millions will be saved in the greatest revival of all time. Life in the Spirit can only begin in the death of the works of the flesh. Israel's salvation is always shown to manifest in fullness at the end of their power. Moses said so all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 32. For the Lord will judge his people and have compassion on his servants. When? When he sees their power is gone and there's no one remaining bond or free. How about Jeremiah in chapter 30 verses 6 and 7? Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with a child. Does, that, does anybody see that? No. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turned pale? Alas, for that great day, that day, the great day, so that none is like it. And it's the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Yes, this is the point of brokenness and exhaustion in this coming crisis. And if it's true for Israel, it's no less true for the church. The church is the church only after it's received the same spirit that will be given to the repenting Israel at the conclusion of the Great Tribulation. Only then will they, Israel, go apart to mourn for the one whom they pierced. So what should the church be? What's the church called to demonstrate in this age before, before men and angels, before the great day of the Lord? Certainly the present-day professing church falls well below the standard of God's intention. We have numerous denominations. Division is rampant. We, we can't even come into an agreement on how to baptize or administer the Lord's Supper. We can't even come to clear biblical understanding of how God's going to bring prophetic witness to the mysteries of the gospel that have baffled scholars and lay people for generations. There's a sense this age is waiting. It's waiting for something still to be accomplished, something that will only be achieved when the church becomes the midwife to Israel. Let me explain that a little bit. When it helps 
the birthing of God's eternal end-time plan for this covenant nation and its messianic rule and reign in the age to come. We have a role. The church has a role in the final outcome. And, And my brothers and sisters, we must be here on planet Earth to participate in that ultimate act of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we're told to pray to you, and that we do. You hold in your heart the the full expression of your love for your children, and, and you've chosen to express that love through your Son, Jesus Christ. The words in this brief presentation today that uh, you've laid before us can cause, can cause apprehension, Father, or even fear if it's not properly understood. These promises will come through great tribulation. You say so. So, Lord, we ask you give us a download of divine wisdom and understanding as we, the Church of Jesus Christ, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, as we grasp what is to come and our role in the final outcome. Lord, I ask that you settle a peace among those who have heard these words today and and that you'll give clear understanding, clear understanding from your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. To that, my friends, we join together to declare Maranatha. I'm Bill Nordstrom.